0: Here we are again. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Hey there, everyone. So, Joe, another week where there were some fairly big upsets. Let's jump straight into the recap of some of the games. Um, Probably a good place to start, certainly from a competition point of view, is Tampa Bay Bucks and the Rams. I know that going into this week, you weren't necessarily buying into the hype train that's surrounding the Rams. Obviously, we're only three weeks in. You softening on that stance at all? Or do you think this game came down to different factors?
1: I'm not buying into the hype train just yet. And let me just contextualize things, right? One of the things why I'm so against jumping on the hype train is that we're three weeks into the season now and commentators are still talking about Stafford and talking about how Stafford and McVeigh have somehow got this connection that they've suddenly just got now. I'm just so sick of hearing commentators talk about Stafford because we've got nothing else to talk about. That's why I'm actually just trying to stay off the hype train and doing it out of spite more than anything now. Rams were good. Yeah, Rams are good. I'm I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm just going to throw it out there over. the Rams started last season 4-1 and and they beat uh, Tampa Bay at the start of last season as well. So it's not like we didn't see this last season, it's not like it's anything new. Yes, Stafford is probably making this team better, but if you listen to any commentator out there, you'd think that this team is suddenly the Jesus team, resurrected, <laughs> yeah. and now they're going to take over the world and it's suddenly the greatest show on turf times two. Yes, he's making them slightly better, but there's just still so much hype and it gets a bit tiresome. I, I I just want to watch a game without a commentator's banging on about it for once.
0: <laughs> That's it. Hit mute and just enjoy it.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have to, yeah.
0: For Tampa Bay then, do you think that they have reason to reconsider how they're set up? Or do you think, just as you pointed out before, hey, this happened last season, look, they went on to smash it. So no need to worry just yet.
1: I don't think you can read too much into this game. Like I said, this fixture happened last season, Tampa Bay lost it last season, they went on and won Super Bowl. I'm not saying that this means i will go on and win Super Bowl or it has any context in that. It's one game. Ultimately, Tampa Bay lost the game because they never really properly got going from an offensive point of view. The Rams did everything they should have done from the defensive side of the ball. Rams played a good game, Tampa Bay won on top form. I don't want to read too much into it because these two teams are too good to be making snap calls based on one game.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one new thing about this matchup is Aaron Donald finally got his first sack against Tom Brady for the first time in his playing career.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's taken him a while.
0: Yeah, but good scout for him. That's probably one of the bucket lists that you just want to tick off as someone in Donald's position to kind of say, you know what, I've sacked the best. But yeah, good for him, good for the Rams.
1: But again, again, that stat, I think that's a slightly media manufactured stat. Until last season, Donald was an NFC player and Brady was an AFC player. They would generally play each other maybe once every four seasons, unless it was in like a Super Bowl. So, you know, the fact that Donald had never had a second Brady, it wasn't like he was playing him every week. So, yeah, it's nice for him. Like you say, it's one off the bucket list, but that's a kind of media stat. All I will just say is that Although I made the point that it doesn't mean anything by the time that playoffs roll around, and I would expect both of these teams to be in playoffs, this win was far more important for the Rams than the loss was for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, despite the Panthers, and we'll get onto the Panthers later, despite the Panthers are probably still going to win the NFC South as things stand. You look at the bookies, you look at it on the eye test, they're probably still going to win the division. The Rams are in far more of a competitive place right now, Every win matters to them. So beating a team like Tampa Bay is going to be huge for them in staying in the playoff hunt in the NFC West.
0: So then talking about uh, the importance of of divisional matchups then, one game that had a massive impact on certainly one of the divisions was the Chiefs versus Chargers. It's interesting actually because we spoke about the similarity of the game last season and whether we'd see a repeat of that and one of my reservations was that I thought this game would be more high scoring and I wasn't entirely sure the Chargers could keep up with that high scoring offence. It started off really similar to last year. Both teams were holding each other, it was a low scoring affair in the first half and just like last season as well we saw the Chargers try and shoot themselves in the foot time and time again with horrific penalties but in the end they came through and they did what they couldn't do last year what are your thoughts on this game Joe?
1: Very interesting game because like you mentioned it still seemed at times like the Chargers were shooting themselves in the foot there was some questionable play calling at the goal line now ultimately it came off but Let's look in an alternative dimension there, where the Chargers threw a pass, didn't get the touchdown towards the end there, maybe even got intercepted. We've seen the Chargers do that so much. So to do a relatively risky play like that at the goal line, it came off, so you've got to say it's great play calling. Had it not come off, different world, could have been a very different result. Ultimately, what happened to the Chiefs, this is probably the first time we've seen this for a long time. They got the ball back with time on the clock, again, due to the potentially questionable play calling when, they, when the Chargers could have ran the clock down more. They got the ball back and they couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't get down the field. There's factors in play here. Patrick Mahomes didn't have the best game of his career. He made a couple of passes, I'm sure you saw there, Charles, that were that, that were bad passes. Passes that we'd expect from a lesser quarterback. There was one that stands out where, I think he threw it to Kelsey, who was in uh, triple coverage, and got intercepted. That wasn't a great pass. It, it wasn't a great play. I'm not sure really what was happening there. We were talking at the time and you said that it was a desperation throw. It wasn't a desperation situation. So I don't really know why he threw the ball like that. I'm not sure if you had a different slant on him.
0: I just thought it was, what, third? Was it third down?
1: It was third down, but but the Chiefs still had all the timeouts and there was still a good three and a half, four minutes on the clock. So you could have easily punted the ball away and got the ball back with a stop.
0: Yeah, and maybe that's it. I, ju- I just think... but potentially in the heat of the moment third down the rush was there and and maybe Mahomes just panicked and you know in past Mahomes been able to pull that off so maybe the just confidence was there that he thought he could nail it but yeah it seemed a desperate pass the risk reward ratio just seemed insane to be pulling out at that stage in the game but there you go
1: one thing to maybe just consider here the way that they were playing and like you say it, it smacked of desperation Maybe Kansas didn't want to go to overtime. Maybe Andy Reid was just trying to get a result one way or the other. We know that the man was sent to hospital straight after the game. He was calling the plays. We just don't know, really, do we? We just don't know. There could have been something like that affecting things.
0: I think that's the thing and it's something to bear in mind. Obviously, you don't want to create excuses and I'm sure Andy Reid would be the first man to, to say that himself.
1: He, he wouldn't give any excuses whatsoever. But if you're calling the plays and you're like, I can call this play, it's going to go one way or the other, but whichever way it goes, if the game's going to be finished soon. You just don't know if that was maybe going, going through his head. And I'm not making yeah. excuses for him, but when you see a play like that, that just seems definitely not the right play that either a, a quarterback like Mahomes should be throwing or a play caller like Andy Reid should be calling for, it makes you wonder.
0: But look, it was a thoroughly enjoyable game, very exciting, very end-to-end stuff. Again, much like we've mentioned with the Rams and Tampa Bay, we're week three, these things happen, probably not worth reading too much into at this stage, but what it does impact in a very big way it's the divisional hierarchy at the moment. I mean, Kansas City Chiefs right at the bottom. I don't think anyone would have called that for week three at the beginning of the season.
1: No, no. Uh, it would take a brave man to call that, a very brave man or woman.
0: What do you think that means? I mean, the Chiefs probably aren't panicking that much given their situation. Are there teams like maybe the Broncos that perhaps think well maybe we've got more of a shot than we thought we have what what do you think the makeup of that division is looking like where, where are people's heads at?
1: Teams like the Broncos and Raiders would have always thought in a team that they're going to go and win Super Bowl. We've said this kind of previously I don't think it's going to change a uh, belief if that makes sense. Let's look at where the AFC West is. You've got Raiders sitting at 3-0, you've got Broncos sitting at 3-0, Chargers 2-1, and one and Chiefs 1-2. and There's caveats to this, so and the Chiefs will be looking at this. The Broncos, I don't want to take anything away from them, because I think that the Broncos have played some very good football, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But can you name the three teams that the Broncos have played, Charles? I know
0: one of them's the Jets.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's both New York sides, so Jets, Giants, and Jaguars. Oh, wow. It's not been the hardest run of games so far. The next three games that the Broncos have are Ravens, then the Steelers, who we'll move on to later, but that's probably also a not-so-hard game, and the Raiders. So Ravens and Raiders, two out of three of their next games. Broncos probably have to come away with... Two wins in the next three games, so keep this momentum going and keep people thinking that they are a serious team, and this isn't just a fortunate start, but they've played three bad teams. They come out of this, you know five and one, and they go into a run of the Browns, Washington football team and Cowboys with real belief about getting into the playoffs. They lose two of these games, and then you're suddenly four, two, momentum's gone a little bit, you've lost a divisional game, and it's a bit of a different story.
0: Yeah, I think that's a completely fair shout. I think, as we've mentioned, you know, fortunes can change very, very quickly in the NFL. You've pointed out that the games that the Broncos have won already. They sort of had to win. There's one or two coming up that are maybe a little bit tougher that they they need to win again to maintain that momentum. I think the biggest winners out of all of this are fans of the AFC West teams who aren't the Chiefs. Because they probably were going into this season fully expecting to be playing second, third or fourth fiddle to the Chiefs. And now they are in the midst of rooting for teams that are in a very competitive division that could change at a moment's notice. So it's nothing but fun times for all of them. And I think it's just a case of hang on and enjoy the ride, right?
1: Absolutely. And me saying that the Broncos have only beat bad teams, that's not taking anything away from the Broncos. I'm not saying they're not going to go on a great stretch now. but it's just to contextualise things. I think that the Raiders, you know, the Raiders having already beat the Ravens, having beat the Dolphins, who all right, haven't had a great start, but, you know, were a playoff team and were a favourite for the playoffs for lots of people. The Raiders have made a great start. They've got the Chargers next. So we've got some big divisional games coming up. I think in the next couple of weeks, when all these teams have played each other, we'll start to see things coming out of the wash a little bit more. Mm. But, you know, there's no reason at all why the AFC West couldn't put three teams forward for uh, playoffs. All of these teams are playing well and they deserve to have the records that they have.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with you on that one. So let's move over to a favourite topic of mine, Joe. And it's only a favourite topic of mine because of the result from this weekend. But Green Bay and San Francisco, that ended up being a very tight game. It was a very scrappy game. I mean, a large proportion of the offensive yards came from fouls. There were flags all over the place but it did come down to a single point in the end. How do you think San Francisco fans are going to feel having seen Trey Lance come into the game a couple of times during the matchup and then seeing Garoppolo take them close?
1: Yeah, so Twitter on Sunday night was quite weird, really. There was a lot of San Fran fans getting very worked up, wanting Trey Lance to kind of basically take over from Garoppolo mid-game halftime. And there was a lot of kind of angst there. I think, it's probably, I think it's probably a little bit taking it too far. Garoppolo, you know, he wasn't playing to the level that Rodgers was during the game. He missed some throws that he probably shouldn't have missed. But was he terrible? No. He, he was playing to an acceptable level. It's fair enough that the fans kind of want more than that. I, I totally kind of understand that. Whether calling for Trey Lance at this stage is the right thing to be doing, that's a different question. Going back to this game, though, we always seem to get good games between the 49ers and... Green Bay we've seen a lot of good games over the last few years there are times like you say when this game was a bit scrappy a lot of penalties but the ending you know was an absolute showstopper it's damaging to the 49ers because as we mentioned previously with the Rams you don't want to be falling too far behind in the NFC West because there's other teams that are in there who will keep on winning Cardinals are 3-0, Rams are 3-0. You don't want to lose pace, so it's damaging for them. Green Bay, you know, after their abysmal start to the season, they've turned things around now. They're 2-1, and top of the NFC North, although, you know, that's not the most competitive of divisions right now. It's going to sting for 49ers fans, but what I would say is that there are quarterbacks in the National Football League right now who are playing worse than Jimmy G is. I know that Trey Lance is a shiny new toy, but I think there's definitely a trend that we're seeing in the National Football League right now of letting quarterbacks come in at the right time and if you bring quarterbacks in too early as we've seen time and time again time and time again you're going to ruin them you're going to damage them look at the difference between someone like Patrick Mahomes who had that time to just get things right and then look at what's happening maybe in Chicago right now.
0: Yeah and I think where we talked about contextualizing things with the Broncos which we've just chatted about I think this needs contextualizing as well with with the fans calling for Trey Lance and You know, Twitter can be a bit of an echo chamber sometimes. But the reason that fans are clamouring to see Trey play is because every time he comes on the field, or certainly in this game, every time he came on the field, he is effective and he scores a touchdown. But that's because they use him in an effective way sparingly to confuse the defence as to what's happening next. It's a little bit like when they bring Hill on for the Saints. You're not entirely sure whether Lance is going to come on to run it, whether he's coming on to pass it, whether he's coming on as a decoy. And they used him for all three of those different ways That is very, very effective when you bring him on for specific plays at specific moments in a game. That is not to say that he's going to have the the same level of success playing a full game where you don't have the ability to kind of mix those quarterbacks up and get the defense second guessing. So I think it's tough for fans to watch Trey Lance come on and score touchdown after touchdown or make the, the fourth down or whatever it ends up being. And then think, well, why aren't you always playing him? Well, because actually, the way they're utilising him at the moment is working terrifically.
1: You're absolutely right, Charles. That's a very, very good point. There's a big difference from having a trick play on a five-yard line to moving the chains in a continued drive down the field and going 80 yards with a mixture of, you know, play action, passing, and handing the ball off. It's a very different set of skills. So you're absolutely right there. I couldn't agree with you more. And People do need to keep that in mind.
0: And uh, Gav, our competition entrant, when he came on the show last time, having a go at me for, for Green Bay and their kick. But this time, I do want to say, I think when Crosby retires, they need to retire number two as well. He is an absolute stalwart player, and, and that kick was essential.
1: You think his number should be. I think it should. I, wow, I do. I think a, he's. That's a big call, Charles. That's a big call. Kickers don't normally get their numbers i know um, retired that's a very very big shout interesting i'm not saying you're wrong he's
0: been with us forever he's scored more points for green bay than aaron Rodgers has and, uh, and and look even when he's not kicking he saved a touchdown for us in the game just gone by putting in that last stitch tackle i think he's uh he's a really important part of the green bay franchise and and i think he deserves it but you're right it, it would be unusual for a kicker to get his, uh, his jersey retired.
1: Okay. It's just a big call. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Like to hear those kind of opinions.
0: <laughs> well, talking about different opinions Joe, I've got another question from a listener for you. Now, we're we're steering clear of Joe's question corner. I've uh, got rightly told off for of that last week. So, we won't give this a name, but we'll we'll give people name checks when they send questions into us cuz I think it's good for the for the listeners to be writing in and asking questions and and to get on the show. So, this entrant came in from one of our listeners called Miles and he said in your opinion who are the realistic alternatives to Roethlisberger? Should the Steelers decide to switch quarterback sooner rather than later and which free agent or other quarterback would you try to acquire if you overlooked the in-house options?
1: That's a great question thank you for that Miles. Um, let's start at the very top. So on the pod last year I was adamant that Roethlisberger wasn't coming back this year. I thought the only reason he was still with a team was because they hadn't sorted out the financials of him leaving. If we just hark our minds back to a few months ago, had Roethlisberger retired, he technically would have had to pay back a large portion of his contract. Had the Steelers cut him, they would have been on the hook for him on the salary cap. So neither of those options were good for, for each party. It was kind of who was going to blink first. When really the solution would have been for Roethlisberger to retire, the Steelers to forgive him for that money, just the same way that the Colts did to Andrew Luck, and everyone kind of rides off happy. Uh, the Steelers maybe be lesser because they wouldn't have a quarterback, perhaps, but that was probably the best situation for everyone at the time. Didn't happen like that. Roethlisberger's here for another year. That surprised me. I think it surprised you as well, Charles. Absolutely. Yeah. But here we are. And three games in, it's not looking like it was the best solution I think the optimists in the Steelers organization and some fans thought that it was going to be a kind of last dance situation but it's it's definitely not the last dance situation Roethlisberg is struggling he's got the left peck injury or whatever he's got there but he's not playing anywhere near his previous standards he's a shadow of his former self so a great question here from Miles in terms of what do Steelers do Look at their current options now. Who's with the team? You've got Mason Rudolph there and you've got Dwayne Haskins. Mason Rudolph, he started, I think it was nine games in 2018 when Roethlisberger... What was the injury there? I forget what the injury was. There's been so many. Was it his knee? I think it was his knee, but like I said, there's been so many he's picked up over years from his kind of style of play. He started nine games for him. I think he had a starting record of 1-5 lost four, so nothing terrible, but not particularly great. During that time though, he lost his place at one point to Duck Hodges. There was a whole incident with Miles Garrett and the helmet gate. There was a lot that kind of went on there. Mason Rudolph taking a very high level view and of generalization here though, he strikes me as someone who is a backup quarterback and not really a starter. He's he's a starter at a push, but he's not someone who you'd want to be starting, you know, week one and trying to carry you through all the way to the playoffs. Dwayne Haskins, we've talked about Dwayne Haskins on this show a lot. The last time we really saw him play, we saw him play in anger in his final days with the Washington football team. Take away all the off-field issues there. He was nowhere near the quality of what a starter should be in the National Football League. There were issues there. There was a lot wrong with his game. And Washington football team were happy to to cut their losses after, what, a season and a half, two seasons. So... Haskins no, he's more of just a wild card that if he develops more he can perhaps be brought on in kind of those Taysom Hill kind of packages so if we're not saying the answer is in the organization currently who can the Steelers go to now you look at the free agency market you look at what quarterbacks are still out there without teams as you'd imagine it's very very dry a couple of big names out there you've got Cam Newton Cam Newton I think would be an intriguing prospect on this Pittsburgh team because in many ways, he plays a similar game to Roethlisberger at his peak. Cam Newton's a player who's a huge guy. He's 6-5, 6-6, six six, same as Big Ben. He can take, or he tries to take the hits the same way that Roethlisberger did. In many ways, there's parts of their games that are similar. Obviously, Cam Newton is far more mobile. He's different in that sense. But in terms of the attitude they have towards linebackers, towards defensive ends, towards getting tackled, They're both quite similar in that aspect.
0: And I don't think that being more mobile is, uh, well, I think it would be a good thing for this Steelers team because I think we saw last season when they were really struggling to establish the running game. If you have a quarterback that is also a running threat, it makes that a little bit easier to establish because you're a dual threat run game then.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's that. But everything that makes Cam Newton that player, what made him good during his MVP run back in 2015, those things are the things which have led to his decline now in a similar way that ultimately caught up with Ben Roethlisberger. He's taken so many hits and Cam Newton, as we've seen from the past few seasons, he's on physio's bench more than he is the pitch a lot of the time. So is taking a 31-year-old beat up Cam Newton a right move for this team? It might be a bridging solution if they find themselves with a pick that's not sufficient to draft a high-quality quarterback. And that could be the reality for this Pittsburgh team. This is a team that, when people are fit, it's good enough to not be a car crash team. But I don't see the Steelers team being in playoffs and... They're probably going to find themselves in an awkward position come the end of the season where they're towards the back end of a top 10 drafting, maybe even in the teens, which is going to make picking up, you know, one of those high end quarterbacks problematic, especially when there are going to be teams like the Falcons who are probably a lot further up in the draft order who may well be taking a quarterback to sit for a year behind Matt Ryan in what will probably be his last season.
0: So do you think that the Steelers then need to turn towards free agency in the off season upcoming or do you think they potentially look to put a trade package together
1: this is where their season can kind of go one of two ways you either go into kind of rebuilding mode you start to accumulate draft picks and you start to get rid of those kind of veterans who aren't going to be around for when this team gets good again and you start to make that choice that's very hard to do as a Steelers coach and a Steelers front office with what this team is the Steelers are a very winning team and they've got a fan base who are a very demanding fan base because of that if you start to kind of you know do what the Browns did a couple of years ago do what the Jags did the season before last and start to offload those players I'm not sure if that really washes and uh, something like that could spell the end of a front office and of Tomlin so I I don't see them doing that Which then means that, yeah, they probably will need to have a bridge quarterback. And if they have a bridge quarterback until they find themselves in a position where they can pick up someone else or even draft a quarterback, it it could be Cam Newton. It could be. But like I said, Cam Newton, I think, comes with so many problems, so many issues. He's so kind of banged up. I, I don't know whether it would work.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for that question, Miles. Great question. Yeah. We always love hearing from our listeners and putting Joe under the spotlight. So if anyone's got any more questions, send them in. We love to discuss these kind of things because it helps break up the podcast. And speaking of, let's dive into the previews for next week as we wrap this up, Joe. So let's kick off with the Lions versus the
1: Bears. I've got this as an interesting game for this week. More on the Bears. There were some people who had the Bears as an NFC North winner this year, especially when... Green Bay were in the depths of the controversy with Aaron Rodgers, with their kind of invigorated offense with the new quarterback, Justin Fields, especially how he looked in preseason. This was a team that was getting more than its fair share of hype. After what we saw on Sunday from the Bears, hype has left the town. It's left the city. It's left the planet. It's probably one of the worst offensive performances we've seen from any team in a long while. Wasn't it, Charles?
0: Yeah. The thing that surprised me most with the Bears and each week I watch them, I think, did I just have a fever dream? But were were they not defensively really solid last year?
1: Um, I wouldn't say they were really solid last year. They were most solid kind of a year before that. But they were still playing well last year. They, they were a decent defense uh, last year. It's just maybe not as effective as... What 2017 2018
0: Right, but this year they they seem defensively absolutely incapable. I don't understand how they've got to this stage because have they lost a, a large part of their defense or something?
1: They have been gradually shedding players over the last couple of years. I mean, you had kwiatkowski who went to the Raiders, and well, he's more of a kind of rotation piece at the Raiders. He was a very strong-looking linebacker for the Bears. They still seem to have problems in the secondary that they have not really managed to properly address yet. The defence has basically been declining gradually over the past couple of years and it is where it is now. But flip it around Charles, the offence though, what's going on there?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. And the worrying thing is, we know that Detroit can put up scores. They've been unfortunate, or you can argue it's been slightly unfortunate, in that they've taken some fairly big teams quite close to the wire, or they've certainly put big enough scores against them. Against this Bears team that are struggling defensively, but absolutely are (laughs) struggling to get points on the board, this could be a win for the Lions, which I never thought I'd say. At the beginning of the season.
1: Absolutely. And then this is where it becomes important. Lions win this. We're not saying that they will, but there's a possibility for sure. Then Bears are bottom of the NFC North. Is there a coach right now, regardless of what happens in this game, but is there a coach right now who's on a hotter seat than Matt Nagy out of the Bears?
0: I honestly don't think there can be. I think he would, you know, if I'm putting a bet down for first coach to be fired this season it would be Matt Nagy for me. I think the way the Bears are playing now, they got their man in Justin Fields and yet they cannot score. That screams danger zone to me.
1: Yeah, and I'd maybe go as far as saying that if the Bears lose to the Lions this week, there's almost no going back for Matt Nagy and the game's up. It might not happen straight after the game, but if the Bears lose this week, I can see him being gone by week six. Oh, drama
0: in the NFC North, Joe. It just seems never-ending.
1: Yeah, absolute. Absolute scenes.
0: We spoke about it briefly earlier on in the show, but Raiders-Chargers, that is going to be a very important game, I think.
1: Really important. And we'll get a real flavour for, you know, what the pecking order is, obviously, the two teams playing against each other, but it's the performances we want to see here as well. I think both sets of fans, ultimately, win, lose, or draw would be happier from a Raiders side, if it's a shootout and the Raiders are showing that the offense is the real deal, is legit as people are kind of hyping it out now, that they can you know keep up the pace with Justin Herbert and keep on scoring against them. Whereas equally, I think the Chargers will be happy if they can show that the defense is legit after their performance against Kansas City and keeping them relatively in check last week. Both sets of fans looking for slightly different things there. But I think that this is all the makings of a potential classic right here and could be one of the best games this week.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. It's absolutely one that I've got marked up to keep my eye on. I'm really hoping that it's going to be an exciting game. I think both these teams have something to prove, but both these teams are flying high at the moment and are probably happy with where they are positionally and how they've been playing. So as you've said, they're both looking to build upon that. And if they can, we're in for a really exciting game.
1: And we've talked about, you know, how games can mean things slightly more for others. It's not the end of the world, really, if the Raiders lose this. I'm sure they want to win. they want to keep that unbeaten record going. But they lose this. They're still 3-1. Okay, they've lost the head-to-head against the Chargers. But it's not the end of the world. Chargers lose this. You're 2-2, and lost the head-to-head, and the Raiders are seeing 4-0. and The Chargers need to win this a lot more than the Raiders do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. So then Indianapolis Colts and Miami Dolphins both been struggling this season, but I wouldn't say struggling in a desperate way where they're completely out of the matchups, but they just are not doing enough to get over the hill. So what does this mean for both teams?
1: A huge game really for different reasons to the previous game out. we mentioned. The Colts are going into this 0-3, the Dolphins are going into it 1-2. and These were two teams that were hyped up by a lot of people's playoff teams preseason, we perhaps weren't as hot on the Colts because we weren't really behind Carson Wentz as much as some people had him. But look, Colts are 0-3. They're playing the Dolphins this week. They have the Ravens the week after. And all right, we've got Texans after that, but then we've got 49ers and Titans. This is a Colts team who could find themselves, you know, week 8 being 2-6 and six if they lose this. Far, far, far from the playoffs. You lose this, you're 0-4. You lose this, you're not going to win the AFC South. The AFC is an extremely competitive Conference, you're not going to get a wild card spot probably with an 0 4 start. So, this could be basically the turning point for the Colts season where they get things back on track, or it could be a nail in the coffin. And that sounds silly saying that in week four, but if you're 0 4, you've got to start thinking like that. Dolphins equally haven't had the best start. They eked out a win against the Patriots, who, as we all know, aren't dynasty standard Patriots these days, but then they got absolutely embarrassed by the Bills. They're 1-2, and two. they go 1-3, and three. and again, things are starting to already look dicey for playoff chances. Stolfin's team, it's hard to get my head around. I'm sure that you think the same, Charles. We saw so many good things from the last year on the defensive side of the ball, and particularly on the special team side. And we've just not really seen that consistently this year. Where do you have them, Charles? Do you think they are still a viable playoff contender, or have they taken a backward step going this season?
0: Yeah, for me, because like you just discussed, I was quite high on them coming into the season, but seeing them play now, I've certainly faded on on that. And I think they are going to struggle from a playoff perspective to kind of make that cut. I think that Tua isn't the quarterback that they hoped he would be. Of course, he's suffered this injury. He's on injured reserve now, so he's out for this game. I believe he's out for next game as well, at an absolute minimum. Brissett's who they've got as backup, who is, you know, he's playable quarterback, but he's certainly not the one to make big plays and, and to get your team firing on all cylinders. And what saved the Dolphins, or rather made the Dolphins last year, in many ways, was their defence, as you pointed out. But it is that consistency which they've been lacking. They're still showing bursts of what they were last season. But, you know, it must be hard for a defence of that quality to continue to make those big plays when they're on the pitch so often, which is what they're finding themselves to be, given the fact that their offence just isn't delivering what it needs to at the moment.
1: Absolutely agree there, Charles. It's an interesting game. It's a turning point for both of these team seasons. And I think that we're going to see, you know, a sliding doors moment here. One of these teams, you know, will feel invigorated, will feel that they still have a chance. The other, it's going to make things very sticky. Both teams have tough run-ins after this game. Dolphins have got Buccaneers straight after. I think the Colts have got the Ravens. So it feels ridiculous saying must win week four. But it really starts to have that kind of vibe about it for teams that you know have playoff aspirations.
0: I think this is the thing. The last three episodes of the podcast, we're talking about games that we're excited to watch. Games that we think uh, certain things are going to happen or or to keep an eye on. I think now going into week four, we're picking out games where we're saying these are really important divisional matchups. These are really important games for long term seasonal pictures for some of these teams. And we're getting into that part of the season now where, yes, it's still early to say that for a lot of games but there are a few key games that you can keep your eye on that are going to have a very big impact on the teams that are playing in them. So from that point of view, I think this week's going to be a very exciting week for football.
1: Really looking forward to it. And Charles, this is the last podcast that I'm doing for a fortnight, so I won't be around next week. I believe you have a guest potentially lined up to replace me next week.
0: We'll try and rope somebody in. We'll find someone. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long episode of me talking to myself, which I don't think anybody really wants.
1: Anyway, it's been a pleasure as always. and looking forward to speaking to you again in a fortnight's time.
0: Absolutely. We'll speak then. And listeners, I'll catch you next week.
1: Send more questions. We love them.